The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Your host is Rochelle McLaughlin. It's time to experience radical well-being. Learn to nourish your heart, body, and mind. Manifest your power in the present. And learn to live your life's infinite potential. Now, here's your host, Rochelle McLaughlin. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the third part of the three-part series with Dr. Bio Okomolafe. Bio and I have been reflecting on the sometimes surreal and sometimes awkward experience it is to produce this talk radio show. And this kind of strangeness is exactly what Bio suggests that we turn towards and embrace as we move into new terrain as a species deeply entangled with the non-human. And I had never really thought of it in this way before, but practicing mindfulness meditation is actually very often a queer and awkward experience. And there is a Pablo Neruda poem that's often shared during the mindfulness-based stress reduction courses that resonates with this. And I'd like to share an excerpt of it where Neruda says, now we will count to 12 and we will all keep still for once on the face of the earth. Let's not speak in any language. Let's stop for one second and not move our arms so much. It would be an exotic moment without rush, without engines. We would all be together in a sudden strangeness. Bio has talked about how the weird, the mangled, and the strange places hold the potential for the status quo to finally rupture. And that it may be that this in-between place that we are in right now is ripe for meaningful change to happen on a global level. And I so appreciate Bio's perspective in that it articulates a deep honoring and an acknowledgement of where we are and where we are going to need to go to bring ourselves back home again to the more beautiful world we all know in our hearts is possible. And I'm thrilled to be here with Bio once again today to hear about how Bio is really walking the talk. Bio is a living model of what it means to live an intimate life on the fringes. And having been disenchanted with the single story about wellness and being, he had received via his Eurocentric clinical training, Bio has embarked on a quest to seek out the less than obvious stories his own people have told for hundreds of years. He has met with Yoruba shaman priests who speak glowingly about the vibrancy of the non-human world, the limitations of human agency and identity, and a more holistic notion of prosperity and abundance. They have taught him the limitations of the hubris of modernity, to a deepened alliance with the web of life, saying, in order to find your way, you must lose it. So welcome back, Bio, and thank you so much for being here with me and with us all again today on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Great to be back, Rochelle. Great to be back. Bio, are we beginning to approach the 
as you say, the wilds beyond our fences, when we purposefully seek out these places that the Yoruba shaman priests speak about when where we might lose our way, these sort of these un, unusual, awkward, queer places. Is this what you mean when you say that? And can you speak to the significance of this? Great. Um, thank you, Rochelle. Uh, I think it was Haldane. Yeah, I think maybe I've shared this quote in the course of our, you know, conversations. Um, Haldane said that, you know, the world is not only queerer than we think, it's queerer than we can think. And I think this sense of a weirdness, uh, of queerness, if you will, that the world is preposterous at heart. And um, by preposterous, I do not mean it's arbitrary, but that it is bursting with life at every event. It is it is complex and eventful to the ninth degree. It is this complexity that we're coming to understand, um, which many indigenous traditions across the world, is, is, um, including mine, the Yoruba people in Western Nigeria, have always been in touch with. The idea that the world is... Um, um, is basically an invitation. You know, it's not just a, a linear path from here to there. Uh, if I could speak of it in terms of the epochs that we're transcending, there was a there was a point in time when we were enamored by an objective reality that was outside of interpretation, so to speak, a world that was dead. I was just waiting for us to animate it with our discussions. That was the um, dream of modernity and then postmodernism came into the picture as a rejection of modernity insisting that our stories are what give the world you know its meaning so to speak so uh you can imagine a dichotomy the lingual or the linguistic trumps the material matter doesn't matter basically the world is only an exemplification of the stories we tell. So we might as well just forget the material. But that also is fraught with problems. And now we're coming to a very difficult place. And it's very difficult to embrace because we're, we're trying to, we're learning how to embrace the stories and the material at the same time. And I think this makes, this is, this makes for a whole lot of fun and trouble. It invites a whole lot of weirdness into the picture. But one of the ways that I think I'm personally exploring that is in learning to see the natural world as agentic. And what that means in normal parlance is um, learning to see it as vibrant, as vital, as um, capable of making proposals. So we are not the ones, you know, trying to get someplace. The way is just as important as the destination. And I'm you know, I think one of the ways I'm exemplifying that or embodying that is in the ways that I choose to relate with my three-year-old daughter when we take a walk so that it's no longer about us getting to some place. It's about us noticing the beauty that intersperses every moment of our journeys together. It's really beautiful. Bio, I'm captivated, and you're just you're speaking to this just now. But I'm captivated by your description of, you know, living in these wilds beyond our fences, or living on the fringes, yeah. as you say, as an intimate experience. 
And it sounds very intimate and just how you're speaking to this. But can you say some more about you and your wife, EJ's experience of living on the fringes as being intimate? How is this so? Huh. I would, uh, first of all, I'd like to just address the, the notion of the fringes. So it, it's popular, you know, in today's, especially by new age obscurantism, to think of the world as a dichotomy between the center and the edges, if you will. And then it's coming to popular talk to speak about dropping off the grid and divesting ourselves from every form of power that operates at the center. And so we, we try to, we embrace the idea that we are, you know, it, it kind of packs in it the legacy or the search for purity. Like, oh, that has nothing to do with me. I'm off Facebook. I'm off this. I'm off that. So I'm, I'm leaving off my garden. I'm, I'm doing this. I'm unschooling my child. I have nothing to do with CNN and Fox News. And to some extent, that might be, seem like an attractive position to take until we notice that the world isn't easily or neatly categorized into edges and centers or fringes. We are, in some senses navigating the rough terrain that um, that comes into being when we notice that we are we are in some regards the enemies that we try to um, take out you know here's a story about the one percent and the 99 percent again we are all inescapably entangled the edges will not exist without the center and the center cannot exist without the edges the circumference of the circle at the same time as it boundaries the circle, it creates a center. So, um, you know, having said that, um, our experiment with the fringes is not an experiment in purity or search for transcendence. It's more an, an adventure in immersion. Um, for instance, um, um, EJ and myself, EJ is my wife, by the way, and she's a... I'd like to tell everyone that I know that she's 10 times intelligent than I am and 100 times more beautiful. She, she grew up, um, she built her career in biotechnology and trying to find new ways of creating drugs that, anti-malarials to be specific, um, from indigenous plants. Um, but we both had the experience of teaching in the university and we also shared a disenchantment with that process because it felt like the whole idea of the university, and I'm not speaking about the university as if it's a monolithic entity, but the practice of the university, at least in our context, seemed to be, you know, perpetuating the same things that we felt were problematic, like the way knowledge is produced to the, to the exclusion of indigenous peoples, the way um, peop- uh, education is framed as a product of distance, that has nothing to do with the student whatsoever or the person that is supposedly there to learn and more to do about access to the economic world, to, to, to a, a ladder of social mobility. And we started to think, if we bring a child into this world, are we going to put our child through this process? And so our journey began that way by deciding we want to be with Alethea, uh, the little three-year-old girl who turned out to be Alethea. We want to be with Alethea every day. We want to question and hesitate about our authority over her life as parents. 
we want to find new ways of educating that is not dependent on this giant antiquated structure that we call school. Now, this is not an attempt to, in one blanket gesture, wave schooling away, but it's, it's a critical gaze that is being cast upon schooling experiences when we say that there are other ways of being with our children, intergenerational relationalities that we are doing away with when we outsource our kids to giant institutions that are in, in turn tied to other uh, biopolitical authorities. And so um, our own journey is centered around Alethea. What can we do to bring play back into our lives? What does it mean to be a father or a mother to a child, to a superhero, we like to call her, um, that is beyond the schooling system? What does it mean to decolonize ourselves from learning as a commercial product? Um, what does it mean to see the world as something that is beyond disciplinary boundaries and categories and instead an invitation to adventure? What does it mean to, roam, um, to, to, to see the world as enchanted over and over again ad infinitum? And these are the questions that energize our life together and our life as parents. There is no formalized practice that is at the center of our work, um, but there is an ongoing questioning, and I feel that's just as great. Yeah. It's wonderful. <clears throat> it is time to take a short break, but before we go, I'd love to share a beautiful excerpt from one of Bio's, Bio's essays about his quest for his fatherhood. He says, I love Alethea so much. I want to be her hero always. I want to reach her hold her, give her a home together with EJ. I want to be the best father I can be, but I don't know what that is. Is this true for you? Do you struggle to be present with your children or child? Do you often wonder if you are doing right by them, what it means to be a good mother or father? Do you, like me, wonder what it would look like to live in a world that valued the time we spend with them instead of treating those times as hobbies or extracurricular non-productive moments? It seems to be a good it seems being a good parent has surprising economic, political, onto-epistemological implications. My guest today is Dr. Bio Okomolafe. Bio is a young clinical psychologist, lecturer, and author from Covenant University in Nigeria. He is a poet, international speaker, and Bio is the special envoy for the International Alliance for Localization, a project for local futures. Bio is globally recognized for his poetic, unconventional, counterintuitive, in, and indigenous take on global crisis, civic action, and social change. And he was recently enlisted as the recipient of the Global Excellence Award in 2014 by the California-based Future Shapers. This March, with Manish Jain, founder of Swaraj University, Charles Eisenstein, author of Sacred Economics and the More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know is Possible, and Tony Spencer and Bio, will be holding a special course in the beautiful gardens of Schumacher College in the UK that is open to everyone. This five-day short course is called Entangled with the World, Radical Activism, Education, and Emergence. Bio is excited about it, and he shares it with you, hoping you will join a circle of friends who are learning to think about the world in different 
different ways and who are creating practices that open us up to other spaces of power, other ways of negotiating the difficult, confusing terrain now before us. And you can connect with Bio to know more at bioacomolafe.net and emergencenetwork.org. And we will be right back after these messages. Do you know that you were born to experience revolutionary wellness? Have you wondered why extraordinary physical, mental, and emotional health has eluded you? Do you know that your infinite personal power resides right here in the present moment? People all over the world are awakening to their birthright. Revolutionary Wellness. Subscribe today at revolutionarywellnessmagazine.com and begin your journey into the mystery. Engage with experts in topics of nourishment, wisdom, and empowerment. Develop mental clarity. Live wholeheartedly and be empowered to live an authentic life of passion and purpose. The world, now more than ever, needs you to feel revolutionarily well. Explore and integrate new ways of being. Learn to access your own unique treasure, the wisdom that is right there inside you, waiting to be revealed. Experience a renewed, vivid, and nourishing relationship with yourself and the world around you. Log on and subscribe to Revolutionary Wellness Magazine today and experience the publication devoted to your journey toward extraordinary health and well-being. RevolutionaryWellnessMagazine.com You are listening to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Rochelle is a clinician of mind-body medicine, lifestyle change, and self-healing. She is a life mentor, author, and publisher of Revolutionary Wellness Magazine. You can reach Rochelle at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. Now back to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Bio's first solo book, These Wilds Beyond Our Fences, Letters to My Daughter on Humanity's Search for Home, is not about something in the ways we think of words as being representative of an independent object. This is not a book of reflections. Bio wants to write a book that is a seeking, a performative quest to trouble himself. The kind of thinking that animates this yearning to write is a dancing with, a struggling with, and a tentacular reach for, and simultaneous creation of the space between Bio and his daughter. Dr. Bio Akomalafe is widely published and cited. He has a beautiful body of work that you can connect with at bioacomalafe.net and know more about his work and upcoming course called Entangled with the World. Radical Activism, Education, and Emergence in Schumacher College in the UK that is open to everyone. And while I'm sharing about this course, I'd like to take a moment to connect to all of our Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio listeners in the UK, as we have quite a following there. So thank you for tuning in to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio, and you'll definitely want to participate in this UK-based Entangled with the World course with Bio. Bio, as many of our listeners already know, that I've been unschooling our daughter, Sophia, my husband and I, and really in the process, I've been unschooling myself. Can you share about your experience with your unschooled three-year-old daughter, Alethea, and if you can speak to what you mean when you say that you're on a quest for your fatherhood? Mm, I I love that, that you are um, unschooling Sophia, and um, yeah, it's... 
and, and that you say, what I love about what you said is that you mentioned that you are discovering yourself in the process. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I feel this speaks to an, something that is at the core of, or one of my central um, um, core beliefs, I think, is that when you meet another, you are displaced. To truly meet another is to be displaced. It's, it's to be shaken off your ground. If we are fixed and stable in the meeting of another, then we, are, we haven't really met the other. Mm-hmm. We have only entrenched our own positions. So in, in, in that regard, I, I feel, you know, one of the things that schooling um, provides for us, it's the luxury or the convenience of being stable where um, the invitation is probably to be displaced, is to be unstable, is to fall off your ground over and over again. And I think that's our experience. I'll, I'll just share something, a brief story I'd like to share about um, Alethea, I mean, the, the space between us. Um, I, I remember we stayed in Richmond, Virginia for about a couple of months. This was in 2015. And one day we were just heading to a, we stayed in a neighborhood that had a common pool area. And we were supposed to just go swimming. And so I took Alethea. And before that day began, before I gave her a bath and all that, I told myself, Alethea was just about, I think she was just one year year plus or just about to clock two. I told um, my wife that I was going to follow Alethea's lead and go wherever she took me. And, you know, not saying no for anything. I just wanted to experiment with what it meant to follow a, a toddler. And that day she said, Dada, let's go to swim. So we went heading towards the swimming pool. And then I noticed we were veering off the swimming pool and going somewhere else. And I didn't want to stop her. I didn't want to stop her. I didn't want to say, no, that's a swimming pool. We should be heading there. But that's where we're heading. Um, so she took a turn and then we started head towards a lake. And she said, Dada, that's, uh, that's the lake. And I said, okay, let's go there. Midway, you know, between our home and the lake, she said, Dada, stop. And I stopped and she said, take off your slippers. And I took off my flip-flops and, and she gave her she gave me mine i mean hers and i gave her mine and we exchanged and she, you know i i wore her i squeezed my size 46 feet into her you know <laughs> tiny uh, slippers and then we got to the lake and then um i remember her just standing there and i told myself oh this this is a beautiful serene environment this could be the opportunity for a father-daughter bonding moment i could tell her some things that are there to me or just listen to her or stuff like that. And I started to speak and she said, shh. She hushed me and she said, listen. I remember feeling awkward and embarrassed as joggers, as people who were jogging just passed us by and we were just, we just stood there like mannequins staring at the body of water. <laughs> you know, doing absolutely nothing. And she insisted that I do not talk to her or say a word. And we just stood there. And, you know, from that experience, I'd like to cut the story short. From that experience, um, I had one of my most profound entanglement experiences. You know, just noticing the aliveness of everything around me. 
um, the the quacking of the ducks, the falling of leaves, the the intractability of the soil between um, beneath our feet. It it was it was a profound moment of reckoning for me, and the the story proceeds to other areas. But I would just say that uh, those are the kinds of things that happen. I feel when we treat our children as leaders, when our leaders, uh, when our children lead the way, and we don't treat them as adults in the making, but wisdom. I mean, wise emanations of the planet itself. Um, I guess that's what it means to me. Mm. Bio, can you speak to the the quest that you're on for your fatherhood? If I, I think it's so much already in the story that you right. spoke to, but if you could be, if you could say a little bit more about that. Yeah, it's uh, great. Um, I think, I think, like I said, when I was invited to write this book and to publish it with North Atlantic, which is also California-based, um, th- this th- this isn't really about contributing to knowledge. Um, it's it's really about um, well, it's not about in the sense of like you rightly said, Rochelle. It's not. It's not. It doesn't use those old tropes of aboutness. It's since grammar fails me at this point in time out and words are limited, I would say it's about troubling myself. Um, so it's easy to sit in our armchairs and paint a picture of how we see the world or how we want the world to be. Um, but we're coming to understand, as I've said over and over again, that we need a different kind of analysis to meet the world. Um, Ludwig uh, Wittgenstein would proclaim that we need rough roads. We've been, we've created um, a situation where we're walking on ice or trying to walk on ice, and that might feel like an ideal situation. But there's no movement because there's no friction. So we need a bit of roughness. And for Wittgenstein, that roughness meant bringing in the materiality of the world, the surprisingness, if you will, <laughs> of the world. So this is my search for surprise. One of the consequences of globalization is that everywhere becomes flattened, so to speak. The bumps and grooves and the surprising crevices and textures that our world is embroidered with is covered over, you know, smoothened over by this this flat plane of things. To travel to Brazil is to travel to London, is to travel to Peru, is to travel... Um, to Nigeria or to South Africa. It's almost the same thing everywhere. This tyranny of sameness is what I resist, is what I'm, I'm looking for some leeway out of. And the book in many respects is my, my quest for the textured genealogical spaces that are already implicated in my relationship with my daughter. But I the way I go about it is by going out to the world, if you will, by lingering at shrubbery. I like that phrase. By leaning over at a line of ants, by exploring the ghosts, the things that are supposedly disappeared and absent, by lingering with them, by hugging monsters, by slipping in slums like I did recently, and asking questions instead of imposing my own fixed answers and spills on people. 
So, yeah, in, in many respects, um, this is about troubling my boundaries. It's, a, it's, about, it's about noticing that, um, I, as I like to say, my soul is strange and it's, it's still waiting to be discovered. It's out there and I haven't met it yet. The soul of my fatherhood and the relationship between me and my daughter, um, as irrelevant that might be to people who discuss large topics like climate change and stuff, I feel is already world consequential. It's, it's cosmic, the relationship between me and my daughter. And I just want to explore the threads that weave that space together. Hence the book, These Wilds Beyond Our Fences. Well, I'd love to share an excerpt from another letter to your daughter where you say, EJ and I do not want Alethea growing up shriveling behind a psychological scaffolding that conditions her to think that the truth is user-friendly, that prohibits her from exploring the world unless it is safe or self-affirming, that whispers to her that she is better than others and should strive to be greater than them, that teaches her to think her own body demarcates herself and that herself is the complete ground for her actions and identity. I want her to gasp when she meets another so that if and when she says namaste or whatever she chooses to greet with, she recognizes the incommensurability of that life. She sees an aspect of her soul. She has only just begun to know the wilds beyond her fences. Can you speak to this? Because this goes way beyond any concept or quaint notion of what we might hold of of like sensing interconnectedness. It feels as though you're really talking about something much deeper. Like I know you've used the term magic well. And I wonder <laughs> if you could if you can speak to this. Huh. Okay, let me try. I know where that quote came from, what inspired the experience. I'm and I'm not gonna dwell on that because it might take some time. Yes. It's a very powerful story. But um yeah, if I could speak to that I would I would say that you know, there, again, the idea of the self, this is evoking the notion of the self and our very, very um, entrenched ideas of um, and practices of self-worthiness, which dives into, you know, one of the central tropes of this show, uh, revolutionary wellness, the, the idea that um, what makes me me or what makes me well is within me. Um, I, I feel that we are collectively at the boundary of a different kind of, of um, appraisal or understanding. And that might be summed up in some of the orientations of eco-psychology, which is that my well-being is intimately tied to the well-being of others, the life of others in me, the life of shrubbery and slugs and cows and sunlight and frogs and toads and rocks. Um, I might be part of a system that occludes those things from mattering, but they actually matter. And I feel that I've been raised in that culture that teaches me that those things I've just mentioned, those things I've just listed are, you know, are useless and just resources, you know, just utility stuff. Stuff I can use to exert, you know, exert myself on the material world. I don't want Alethea growing up in in a world that pretends to be dead to her. I don't want her deriving a self, her sense of self worth from all her internal resources, if you will, because we're coming to understand that the boundary between the internal and the external is fuzzy. 
um, so we are open, potentially open to a wide stream and flow of beautiful resources that we're not in touch with at the moment because of the ways we've been subjectivized and conditioned by larger political uh, megalithic systems. And so this is, a, like you say, it's about magic. And I think of magic as the dissolution of distance. Um, I, I, I look forward to seeing a melting of those distances between um, us collectively and the natural world, if you will. And I think Alethea is leading the way in that respect. What we try to do is to midwife her, uh, or to provide the arena for her to grow in a world where her sense of self is not anorexic or imprisoned behind her skin, but is part of the world in its ongoing iterativity and complexity and beauty. That's magic for me, not unicorns and um, rainbow clouds and stuff. What's magic is that I and the ants down the, um, in my compound right now are intimately connected in ways that I haven't even begun to understand. And I hope Alethea grows up understanding that. It is time to take a short break, but before we go, allow me to share a passage by Bio Akomolafe from an essay called Queer Lessons with My Daughter. Bio right. says, if, if you meet a monster on your road, do not try to plunge your sword into her. You will not win. Instead, bury your sword, break it into, toss it away, go unprepared. The monster, she will vanish, and you would have transcended victory or defeat, the terrifying or the benign. But more astonishingly, you will notice in the monster's place a broader way where there only was a narrow path. And in the shimmering distance, a more familiar voice urging you to make the acquaintance of your many selves tucked away in the impossible. These are the words of Dr. Bio Akomolafe. Bio is an author, international speaker, and a walkout academic. He is, an, he is the executive director and initiating coordinating curator for the Emergence Network, a post-activist project and he is the host of the online course we will dance with mountains bio is writing his second and third books and we will, shall dance with the mountains and a novel the boy who stayed outside and you can connect with bio and find out more about his work and his upcoming courses at bioacomalafe.net and emergencenetwork.org and we will be right back after these messages Do you know that you were born to experience revolutionary wellness? Have you wondered why extraordinary physical, mental, and emotional health has eluded you? Do you know that your infinite personal power resides right here in the present moment? People all over the world are awakening to their birthright. Revolutionary Wellness. Subscribe today at revolutionarywellnessmagazine.com and begin your journey into the mystery. Engage with experts in topics of nourishment, wisdom, and empowerment. Develop mental clarity. Live wholeheartedly and be empowered to live an authentic life of passion and purpose. The world, now more than ever, needs you to feel revolutionarily well. Explore and integrate new ways of being. Learn to access your own unique treasure, the wisdom that is right there inside you, waiting to be revealed. Experience a renewed, vivid, and nourishing relationship with yourself and the world around you. 
Log on and subscribe to Revolutionary Wellness Magazine today and experience the publication devoted to your journey toward extraordinary health and well-being. RevolutionaryWellnessMagazine.com You are listening to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Rochelle is a clinician of mind-body medicine, lifestyle change, and self-healing. She is a life mentor, author, and publisher of Revolutionary Wellness Magazine. You can reach Rochelle at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. Now back to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. How could something as ordinary and as commonplace as becoming a father have such world-obliterating world summoning consequences. Donna Haraway once noted that nothing comes without its world. A stone is not merely a stone. A cigar is not a cigar. Every object is already threaded through with entanglements, which, if followed, lead to surprising places. A piece of paper is made up of thinly compressed pulpwood fiber, downed trees, thick soils, cloudy skies, a farmer and his wife, the ideology of bureaucratic expansionism and groanings that cannot be uttered. These are the words of Dr. Bio Akomalafe. Bio is the coordinating curator for the Emergence Network, a post-activist pro- project seeking to trouble the discourse on change and contemporary activism, as well as the facilitator of We Will Dance with Mountains, writing as a tool for emergence, an online course that you can find at course.bioacomalafe.net. And you can know more about Bio's work by visiting bioacomalafe.net. Welcome back, Bio. So, Bio, what is your prayer for the world? If we can dive into that. Huh. Okay, here comes the awkward silence. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that that is that knocked me out. That knocked me out. A prayer for the world. Well, Bio, maybe we'll start here. This, In an excerpt uh, from a letter that you've written to Alethea, you, you said that maybe it's true, and I love this because it's um, very lighthearted. Right. You say, maybe it's truer to say we run into all kinds of trouble when we attempt to have everything together and that things fall asunder in heaps of laughter all the time and that a tragic giggle is the theory of everything or most things can you speak to this as we uh, <laughs> make the transition the tragic giggle <laughs> Tra- okay. Um, okay that reminds me of a, an encounter I had with uh, uh, I would call her a mentor um, even though we've only met once but we've we've kept up correspondences um, she, her name is Karen Barad I, I know Rochelle you becoming acquainted with her work mm-hmm. and She's a very notable feminist thinker and theoretical physicist. And I remember visiting her in her home in Santa Cruz. And um, it's Santa Cruz, right? I'm in California. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I went to her home. She had her wife there, wonderful fern. Um, and I remember asking her the same question, and it's now I realize the difficulty of answering such a question. And I asked her, you know, what, if there were one thing, or how would you, yeah, okay, let me put it this way. I can't quite remember exactly what I said, but it was something to the tune of, 
what is the most beautiful thing for you right now? Yes, I think that's it specifically. What is the most beautiful thing for you right now? She was probably expecting me to ask her a question around quantum physics or interaction or agential realism and none of that came out. Um, so she couldn't answer the question immediately. But after a while, after confessing that words escaped her, she, she said that, um, well, this moment, this moment right now is, is beautiful because it's connected to the heart of everything. Um, you know, she was playing with that same notion that um, every moment is eventful. Even the ordinary moments that we tend to do away with or we tend to categorize as boring and inconsequential are, are threaded through. I like the, the idea of something being threaded through or stitched with things that we cannot see at the moment. Um, and Fern, her wife, I remember her replying that I, I think the most beautiful thing for me now is the divine laughter, the cosmic giggle that innervates everything, the ordinary. Um, yeah, I, I, would, I would just take a cue for them and piggyback on their remarkable responses and say that if I had a, and this is diving back to your first question, right, Rochelle, that if I were to have a prayer for the world, it would be the same prayer that we, I learned when I was little in my own native country in Nigeria. May your road be rough. Um, I don't know if I've shared that with you, Rochelle, but I know I've shared it online with a group of people before. Uh, May your road be rough seems like a curse, like I'm wishing you bad luck or that you do not arrive. But like I just said with the metaphor of standing still and not having any movement because there is no friction. It's only with rough roads that movement happens. And it's not just that. It's not just moving from here to there. It's only with rough roads that we are shaken out of the illusion that the essence of journeys are about arriving. Sometimes journeys are there for us to stop, slow down, and listen, and just sit with the flowers by the roadside. Um, we seem to be caught up in a world that is designed for racetracks. Um, the way doesn't matter as much as the starting point and the finish line and the trophy matter. Um, maybe what I would pray for is, yes, may your road be rough. May you, may you who listen understand that the world is much more enchanted than finish lines and starting points and trophies. May you find the uh, grace to slow down and notice the many colors that are in between the so-called dichotomy of black and white. May you find the, the haunting. May you be troubled enough to notice that your boundaries are not still and that we are still in the making. Yeah, let me just stop there because I could go on. <laughs> That's wonderful, Bio. So my, it's, it's interesting because my experience with mindfulness, there's so much within um, what you say, like just this, 
stopping. You know, mindfulness meditation is really a practice of learning how to be present in the moment and to really acknowledge where we are and just honor no matter what we find. And it's such a beautiful practice and um, so profoundly life-changing, And as I've mentioned before on the show. And as, you know, we're slowly, it felt as though like the mindfulness practice slowly wore away at these metaphorical fences in my mind. So all the sense of separateness began to melt away and it's still working its way. I'm sure over the course of my life, it will be this way. Um and just the the judgments, the dysfunction, any kind of sense of separateness that I had built up over the course right. of my life, and that it brought me to a place where it was it really felt like being lost because without all that mental phenomenon that I was used to, something new was needing to be born within me, and it feels as though maybe culturally or as a society and globally this is where we are at that we're being called to that place of as you're mentioning you know just allowing this sense of separateness to melt away sensing into I know Charles Eisenstein uses the words the interbeing yeah and then this something new being born can you speak to this something new because it's, I know it's tricky because we're, in a way, it's projecting onto something, you know, onto right. the future. But I just wonder right. if you have any thoughts around yeah. that. Um, um, there, so, so I, one of my, one of the things that I'm, I probably get people irritated about <laughs> is that they, they could ask a question and then I would linger uh, on the well, maybe an atomized version of their question, and say, "What? But what does it mean to? What does newness mean? And how is that different from oldness, or you know, or something being out of stock or no longer available?" And that could lead to surprising directions. But yeah, I would try my best to share my thoughts about. I think what is emerging today that we cannot fully articulate. Um, Charles, whom you've just referred to, likes to speak about the space between stories. And I think that's a useful um, metaphor uh, because it it helps us ground ourselves and accept the liminality of where we stand as a collective species. You know, it's it's no longer it, the, the burden to create, um, to give an answer to what you know, may not have an answer yet is, you know, comforted, if you will. The anxiety about creating the next moment is done away with when we recognize and we accept that the responsibility of creating the next it does not lie solely with the human. It doesn't lie solely with us. Um, but with the idea of the new, um, I would like to say or speak to the subtle ways that um, the differences between the new and the old is also a modern project. There's a mod- the, there's the, the legacy of the modernity is, you know, hides within that um, binary configuration of new and old. I feel that the world is more orgasmic, permit me to say that on radio, uh, or ecstatic than 
that binary may suggest. In some senses, we do not know what comes next because the burden of creating, like I've said, um, doesn't lie fully with us. But in a deeper sense, um, the new is here right now. Um, it's, it's hiding in the old. Um, some, uh, I heard recently that revelation happens or disclosure happens when we meet the old in new ways, when we turn it this way and that and change our perspectival relation to that which we are trying to catch a glimpse of. Um, I feel that there is, in the ways that we are practicing our search for the new, there is an anxiety about creating something entirely disembodied or with no genealogy, with no historical ties to the things we find old or problematic today. And so we, we think of capitalism and we say, oh, we need a new system that doesn't treat trees and nature as resources. And then we put all our resources and theoretical energies into creating something that looks nothing like us, the status quo. But I, I think the world, world isn't, like I say, isn't neatly divided into old and new. I feel even the old has promises, has potential. And so the, it's, it's not so much about doing something that hasn't been done before. It's about noticing that the world is constantly doing that all the time. Um, it's not, we're not approaching some kind of, of uh, uh, a solitary moment in time when everything that we've known will suddenly fall away like a pack of cards and then the new would proceed and we're birthed into a new age from there on out. Um, I feel... It's in small moments and small miraculous encounters with the ordinary that the new is summoned. It's, it's not so much about even creating an entirely new social structure as it is about meeting a plant in a new way or talking with the partners that we have taken with us in our journeys in new ways, in ways that we don't do before. It's about noticing the weirdness of the old and the revolutionary a promise in the status quo, if you will. It's about staying still with the trouble of noticing that we are, um, how would I put this, how would I express this thought, that we are still on the way and there is no arrival. Um, there is no final destination to, to, to settle to. There's no final settlement. There's only the ongoingness, again, using that Karen Baradian um, theme, there's only an ongoingness to life itself. So my point in a breath isn't, is that there isn't a neat old and new that is hanging somewhere objectively, already given and predetermined. Instead, we are invited and challenged at every moment to dance with the old, dance with the new in whatever configurations that takes us, and to challenge the, and hack the the patterns of behaving that we are used to is to respond to the glimpses of beauty that shine forth in different ways in our own lives. Allow me to thank Dr. Bio Akomalafe for being on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio these past three weeks. If you have missed any one of the episodes of this three-part series, you can go back into the archives at any time. They are all there for you, and they are down 
downloadable and free as always. And be sure to go to Bio's website, bioacomalafe.net, to get information about the release of his upcoming books, read his recent works, and invite him to speak and present this information so that we can amplify Bio's message and to help uh, humanity and all of life on this magical planet. I would also like you to know that I am also deeply honored to have the opportunity to share this revolutionary wellness talk radio platform with bio in the coming weeks and months. (laughs) Yay. As bio will be a regular guest and co-host as we co-articulate a new view of wellness together and navigate this sometimes strange and awkward experience together and bring you some of the most fascinating, insightful and inspiring people that you have ever met. So thank you for joining us on this journey. Until next week, I'm Rochelle McLaughlin. May you be well. Thank you for opening your heart and mind to a new way of being, to greater degrees of self-compassion and wellness, and your experience of your own infinite potential with Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Join host Rochelle next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time to turn courageously towards your own unique experience of health and wellness here on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember, you too can experience revolutionary wellness. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.